Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CMNF Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info. Hey, everybody. Will Sullivan here with another episode of Let's Cover That with my co-host. Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Sarah Gallo, a physician assistant and the founder of Clinical Insiders. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's just jump into it. Tell us about yourself and how you found yourself where you are today in your career. Yeah, um, I I definitely have always been, you know, uh, into, I guess, hacking things and um, also kind of understanding, you know, the body and been interested in how to kind of optimize my own health. And so I went into healthcare really to um, learn, you know, for myself, but also to help others, uh, you know, take care of themselves, be preventive. And I ended up in a primary care role for the last, uh, I'd say about 10 years. Um, and then after that, I, I felt like I had really hit um, being a primary care really well. I was, I was very confident. I felt like I wanted another challenge. Uh, and throughout being a primary care provider, uh, you end up actually doing a lot of hacking in that space. There's navigation that patients really, really aren't set up to, to do. Uh, it's really complex. And as you do it more often as a primary care provider, and you see all the pieces that go together, because you're the one who fits them all together for the patient, uh, you you really develop this whole nother way of, of just kind of knowing the ins and outs of how to get good care and where to avoid so that you don't end up in medical trauma. And so I wanted to actually do more and impact more than just one person at a time and also saw the inequities and just inefficiencies in being a primary care provider. And I had been in the value-based care system for five years before I left. So I knew it was coming down the pipe. I did not like the way it was looking. It was uh, really set up to be unsustainable for a primary care provider. And um, many times throughout, like even just when I was training and working with uh, my colleagues, I just felt like we had so many good ideas, but we never had time to do anything about it and impact the future of our, our profession. Uh, and so I saw that they would just be, you know, run down, feeling like their voice isn't at the table. And I just, I, a lot of times it's like, well, then we need to be there. It's not, it's not something that's out of our scope. Uh, and certainly I think the reason why it's not in a good place and we're not thinking about how the patient navigates and what our providers need to do every day and how it fits into the way that we're modeling um, the care delivered, then we need more people up at the top. And that does mean sacrificing not seeing patients. But uh, I worked with an executive coach, really felt very guilty and um, nervous to leave, uh, like what I decided to do for the rest of my life, but uh, felt empowered once I kind of really immersed myself into the space, get, went to the right spaces where there was the right mission. Uh, and felt empowered and uplifted to have my voice heard and saw the impact that it could have just because we have a much more, I think, robust perspective on the patient experience and how it actually impacts the outcomes that patients have. So now I'm actually, I did spend a lot of time in like the innovation space, working with a nonprofit focused on safety net care and getting in um, startups to focus on uh 
you know, the Medicaid population under underserved and, and I like to call them resilient populations uh, and help them build models and develop their, uh, you know, their products to be more inclusive. Uh, and then I spent the last three years actually working at a telemedicine practice in Colorado that solely uh, focuses on closing access to care gaps for uh, the Medicaid population in Colorado all throughout the state. So I was involved in really kind of transforming that practice and um, had done that in my primary care practice right before I left when the pandemic hit uh, to do telemedicine, but not only that, but really integrate into traditional healthcare systems, which I think has been one of the things that I've been disappointed in in the startup world is that there's this really, really uh, has large hesitancy to serve a population that absolutely could be better off and you could be the reason for it. Um, I, I don't know any other privilege that would be better uh, be, because their care is below average. So um, anything above average will be immensely impactful. So uh, so now I, I kind of helped that practice get to where it needs to be, really connected it with um, large payers, the Medicaid managed care systems, the state, um, and got them involved in policy. And then I just want to keep repeating that um, for traditional healthcare systems, traditional healthcare practices, uh, and also help to integrate digital innovations, um, startups that are really just mission driven to serve this population and get them to a place where they can thrive and ultimately not be discounted, to be honest, in practices. So that's amazing, Sarah, and especially like your passion for, hey, let's go to an underserved population where like the access is a problem, the equity is a problem, and just making these changes make a meaningful, immediate impact. So just kind of circling back to one of your comments. So when you're saying resilient population, it seems like you're kind of bringing that kind of phrase to the forefront. Like, what, what does that mean for us? And then run us through an example of like how the access to care digitally like makes an impact on that and the equity. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I think like, you know, this, this mentality that we're doing good and um, these people need our help is kind of uh, misrepresented. Uh, so, you know, in particular, I would give an example of, you know, a population that really doesn't get care designed for them. Um, so uh, to, to bring to the forefront, um, let's say people who are currently using substances and are addicted, um, they, they are also homeless. They are also um, having food insecurity. They have financial insecurity, but they're living their lives. They're not dead. On, they're not dead. They're, they're living. They're continuing to go. Uh, you know, many people could say they're, they're surviving, but truly those people survive beyond the means that really we kind of see as being possible. Uh, and so I think they deserve actually a resilient uh, kind of status. Yes, I don't think it's the best thing um, because, you know, you don't want to be living in survival mode all the time and be on like doors, uh, death's doorstep. But those people still are, you know, choosing to live every day. And to say that they're um, you know, I, I just, I don't think that we should be 
labeling them other than that. Uh, and so one of the programs that I did in the telemedicine practice that I, I really feel very proud about was a maternal opioid misuse grant program. Uh, the state was actually trying to get funding um, to serve that population. And uh, the design, I think, was a little more left open-minded and, and I could be really innovative. So what we had proposed was as a telemedicine practice, we can be access to care. We were uh, we actually don't just do telemedicine, but we actually train EMTs to be inside the community and then assist the vi the visit. So they can do adjunct care along with see a provider. Um, and so it really kind of stretches the the vision of what telemedicine really could be, um, but you're seeing them in the place they feel safe. So the harm reduction center, they do um, needle exchange, but they also have like a really strong peer community that are people with lived experience that aren't too far from what they, you know, the people coming in and the people who are the peers are. And uh, they, they trust anything that that organization, you know, brings under their umbrella. So we leverage that um, and, and then I built the program around the peers so that they can use us. We can do what we need to do from a like a recommendation standpoint, but it's really just being an advocate, saying that the healthcare system is really like kind of there to support them, even though it really doesn't seem like it. And we will help you navigate to the right places, but the peer is the right person to do that. Let us just be, uh, they'll be our, our voice. Um, so you don't have to handle all the people that, kind of come down on you once you are pregnant, once you are identified as a person, you know, living with addiction um, and feeling like that stigma is really being labeled on you rather than, not, than seeing you as a person who's looking to thrive, not survive. So I hope that explains it. Um, yeah, I think, I think kind of what you're, you're demonstrating is like, listen, there's, there's the, you know, the, the dynamic of like survival, thriving, and you kind of have like a reorientation here of saying like, listen, these people aren't just surviving. They're actually like resilient because they're kind of up every day. They have really like real obstacles in their life that they're trying to move forward with. And somebody just needs to get on a path with them and say, let me help you kind of walk through this instead of dictating it to them. And then kind of like delegating it out to them on their own. Almost. It's like a lonely place to be as you mm -hmm. navigate this. So it, I think that's like a really poignant way of kind of putting it. Um, I think it's yeah. important to reframe the way that healthcare really needs to be delivered. You know, um, a lot of the relationship that as a primary care, I've been able to really develop and be successful at, you know, improving outcomes and helping people actually advocate for themselves and their own health uh, is by building that relationship, helping them learn to be a health advocate and a personal advocate, I think we're really great at being advocates for other people. And I will say the same thing for myself. Like I was not advocating for myself as a primary care provider. Uh, I was advocating for my patients every day and not having anything left for myself at the end of the day. And I was like, well, this is a limiting, limiting scenario. I'm not going to stay in this forever if I keep trying to do the right thing. Uh, so let's maybe remodel the future to incentivize, you know, providers really getting to do what they got to do. I understand and really absolutely want to leverage the value-based care model because I do think it incentivizes prevention. It incentivizes like a kind of really helping patients take care of themselves rather than being dictating and, and patriarchal. Uh, and 
And so I do want to support that, but I do think that the way that they're designed is not leveraging the role of the provider appropriately. Uh, and I also think there's just a lot of waste. And, and if you think about all the, all the reasons why things are the way they are, it's policy, it's, you know, administration contracting. It's not providers saying, oh, you know, pay me for this because I think this is possible. It's not, they don't get to be in those rooms with us. And sometimes I feel like that's unfortunate because they really don't understand the value of what we provide and the secret sauce that we provide. And providers are so burnt out. I think we're really having a hard time actually speaking to that when we really need to, uh, because we're just trying to keep our jobs. I mean, we're humans too. We're here to just, we're also don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And really, really amazing work, Sarah. Can you tell us a little bit about the digital strategies that you're using to you know, open up access to care and treat your patients and, you know, measure your success um, across the board? Yeah. So I, I absolutely think most primary care providers, they don't realize that they're, they're part of a digital transformation already. Um, one of the things that I like to focus on uh, and how digital transformation can play a role into every single patient experience is also all the tools and the software and the the, you know, kind of ancillary stuff that comes with going to your practice. So as a patient, you might be doing an intake, you have to wait, you get there, you you know, running behind, now you have to fill out a piece of paper, maybe that paper doesn't get to the provider, the provider doesn't even look at it. And so now we have so many other tools that really the the not so bright and shiny and, you know, fancy objects, they are the ones that are making the experience better because they were so terrible before. Uh, and they're helping us leverage actually that collection of the data in, in more structured ways uh, so that they're, they're going to be an easier and more efficient way to sift through that data once it comes through on our side as a provider and make that time with that patient as, as influential and as holistic as possible uh, by, you know, if we have a health related social needs screening, you know, or a PHQ nine that, you know, checks for depression, um, it's already automatically given to the patient. So we don't have to spend time in that visit, having them fill it out. And then we can actually go over it and, and it's entered in appropriately that we can actually track it over time. Uh, and then also refer them to the resources they need. So some of those things that, uh, yeah, telemedicine can be very helpful. I think it's a modality to like meet patients where they are and be more, um, just more patient centric and convenient because nobody wants health. I mean, not, whenever you need to access healthcare, it's never convenient. So, you know, making it more convenient. So it's not that extra barrier. You're like, I don't have time. You know, I don't have a car, you know, I got to have um, somebody watch my kid, you know? Um, so that takes down those barriers. But then the other things are, let me get let me sit in a, in a mindful space where I'm not rushing, where I can answer the questions appropriately, that I have time to actually um, kind of consider, maybe I need to ask about, I, I, the reason why I can't go to get my MRI is because they don't have transportation. Um, I, you know, I need to go to the dentist, but like they're booked out three months ahead, you know, things like that, that you can actually throw in there. And then the team, which is great, uh, can actually help with that patient's, you know, resources. So if they identify, oh, you know, you haven't seen the dentist in over a year, let us get you set up with an appointment. Like it is a pain in the butt. 
you know, I've tried to call these practices for Medicaid access for primary care when we see them on telemedicine and then try to migrate them to their local community health network. They're, I've waited online on the phone myself through the physician line for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. Like that's just unreasonable. So however we can kind of reduce the, the unnecessary burdens that really kind of stop people from continuing in that momentum of taking care of themselves. Uh, I think that's what digital transformation really is meant to do. Um, and then it also really allows for that interoperability of health data. You know, I get really frustrated when my patients would go to the ER and I, I can see, you know, through our health information exchange that their, their chart in the hospital is completely uh, in just not correct. Um, and, you know, you ask a patient when they're having like, you know, chest pains to tell the most, you know, accurate medical history. That's just, I, I mean, honestly, don't ask me to do that when I go there. So um, I think there's ways to actually just transfer that information. I just print the note out and give that to the patient so that a lot of times, you know, maybe they're just, you know, not really ready to communicate all this stuff, but I give them the information that they need, the clinicians, so that we can work as a team, even though I'm not there. So there's so many ways that we're doing it now that we just need to leverage. We need to, as clinicians, um, champion and uh, advocate for and and also be part of the design of, because if we're part of the design, it's just going to be easier for us to actually integrate it and adopt it into the to the, um, you know, regular journey. But um, I think sometimes we're the ones in the way. Um, and if we get more involved, we may not be as resistant. Um, and then patients also really read that and they're like very interested in supporting you. Like patients don't get their diabetes foot exam, but if I asked, well, not foot exam, I'd say eye exam. I, I would just ask them to do it for me. And you know what? For some reason that works. I'm um, not saying that like, you know, I have a magic touch, but I think anything that you can leverage um, just for them to be, you know, in the best health they can be um, is what our job is. And uh, I fully support the digital transformation of practices so that we can do that more. So what is, just kind of as like a kind of more of a, a closing leadership question for you as, as PAs, how, how do you kind of present yourself like you like what what are the th things you would say to other PAs to say hey you have the opportunity to go from front lines to more like kind of in the tower supporting how you scale out like how do you employ yourself into the leadership position not just just digital transformation but just overall like you see what's going on in the front lines there's going to be folks like you who can step into leadership roles and make a scalable impact. What, what do you say to them? And, and, and that's got to lead into like what's next for you and as things progress. So just what do you say to people thinking about that? Like I'm on the front lines, I'm doing all this volume, but I don't see the necessary change. How do I present myself in a, in a place where is a place for me to kind of get here and make a change like you have? What, what yeah. does that look like? Yeah, I think first it's self-exploration to understand what's your mission. You know, um, plenty of PAs are happy to be on that one-on-one. -on -one, you know, I want to see the direct impact that I have on a patient. Um, and, you know, I, I did really enjoy that. It was very rewarding. But so much of your role is not necessarily that if we really look at it. They drive us to go to work every day. But there's, you know, one or two scenarios. And then the rest, 
we might be just spinning our wheels and just waiting for that person to come around, which is totally fine. And I think we need to be accepting of the way that people want to treat their bodies uh, and just continue to be their advocates. Uh, but I do think that, you know, if you see yourself already really stepping outside your traditional role of giving care and really wanting to be part of shaping how that practice or how that care or how how the practice how patients really get involved in changing the the healthcare system or or even just seeing opportunities and saying i wish we could do this i wish we could do that and and really walking yourself through oh well i mean we could easily just switch this part or make a template for this then you're probably destined to do more um and you know I do think that you have to really challenge the narrative. A lot of times, you know, we have to be really honest with ourselves. We are the revenue for the entire system. Um, so what real incentives are there for us to move out of that role? Very little. Um, and our profession, I think, hasn't really built that pathway uh, through education or just building awareness around what those pathways look like. So it's going to be a little bit of a lonely path where you feel like you're really getting people to think about things differently and see you as a leader and see you as somebody who needs to be given more FTE in a leadership role, driving some kind of quality improvement initiative or uh, being part of, you know, the digital transformation efforts or even just, uh, you know, practice uh, transformation in general. Um, and so ask for those roles. If you're doing it already, tell them you need time to do it. Don't just do it out of the goodness of your heart. Uh, and start to build that resume. And just because you didn't get that role, because I would say I wasn't ever really given that role in my primary care practice, but we were independent. And we had like, you know, 10 administrators versus like a hospital's like 30 to a provider. So um, we all had to get involved, but I really heavily invested in supporting my practice to continue to have it be progressive and also understand the business of medicine. Um, but I do think that it requires you going outside of your PA, PA uh, colleagues and really talking to either physician leaders, nurse informaticists that move up in, in systems, um, people who are, are maybe inspiring you to keep moving and just reach out to them. We are looking to bring more people up into the space because more people there will just make it more normalized for us to ask and build pathways and also build awareness around how PAs differentiate from other health professions that uh, they can bring something to an organization that maybe a physician or nurse practitioner or nurse can't do. Um, I do think that we really are a universal multi-tool. We practice in all different specialties. We could have a resume that covers all specialties. So if you think of a primary care practice, if you did psychiatry and you did gastro and you did endo and you are now primary care, guess what? You are a multi, multi-specialty practice in a person. And if you're trying to build an integrative practice or build a health system that incorporates that as a, you know, kind of really just con compacted patient experience, that's the person you should be involving because they know how each of those different things interact with each other. Uh, and they have the knowledge of what the best practice could be and why it's not getting done today. So that's what I recommend is, you know, 
PAs can be a tool just like other professions. Um, and I, I do believe that we also don't get, we often can get exposed to more scut work, which is the stuff that really needs to be transformed anyways. So, you know, as a physician, sometimes you are filtered uh, information. You're not really shown the worst stuff because again, like they're seen as the, the boss, right? Um, but as the PA, uh, there's not that same hierarchy. And so you do get asked to do those things. Um, you are more down to earth and you get to hear the stories that your staff gets to tell you about what's wrong or about what, what issues or what things that could be better or what patients are really experiencing. Um, and so I think that we bring a, a little bit of a different perspective that can be immensely valuable, especially to a startup organization or an innovation center that um, is really trying to do good work. But yeah, I would just say from like another thing is like equity should be in all of this. You know, I look at digital transformation as an opportunity to to build software that actually is designed to be inclusive um, and can also meet patients where they are. But it does have a nuanced role. You have to think about who you're excluding. Um, and most definitely, I would say, think of the mom who has a kid who is currently using, surviving out there, resilient as hell, is pregnant, has to interact with the um, healthcare system, but is afraid of losing everything and going to jail. Where is their healthcare? Where is their healthcare model? Where is the safe place that they can go where they don't feel like they're going to get everything taken away from them and there's really no purpose of living? Um, we should have a way to enter and engage and be safe and feel like your clinician is your ally. Um, they're not doing it because they want to break the rules. Um, they're just in a really sticky situation. And a lot of times, if we really consider the social determinants of health of spaces, you know, we're not, we don't necessarily prepare people for success. And I don't think that should be um, something that really destines you for a really sad life um, and isolating life. So if we can do anything, I think designing for them where they need healthcare within 30 seconds of their decision-making, otherwise they're going to dip, um, would actually be massively inclusive to everyone else. Absolutely. And I think that's a super meaningful message, not just for healthcare providers across the board, but patients as well. So we really commend you on all the work that you're doing as a physician assistant um, and as a digital expert in the field. And we, we would love to have you back on for another episode. Unfortunately, we have to wrap for today, but you're a wealth of knowledge and we're, we'd be so thrilled to have you back. I would love that. Thank you, Thank guys. you so much, Sarah. And that's another episode. Let's cover that.